everyone, I'm Brandon Odo. And I'm Brian Bowling. And this is Critical Care Scenarios, the podcast where we use clinical cases, narrative, storytelling, and expert guests to unpack how critical care is practiced in the real world. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, Brandon. How are you? I'm just so great. So glad to be here. Just, I'm just excited to be who I am, where I am with you today. And where we are is lightning rounds. And why we're here is to talk about uh, sort of a grab bag topic. This is a loose theme of collected ideas. But the theme is, wait for it, when. When? Well, I guess when. Sometimes <laughs> I like to H my my was. Um, Whip. <laughs> So we're going to talk about when it is best or appropriate or ideal, in our opinion, to do certain things that we do clinically, things that we certainly do, but I think there are subtleties to when it is best to do them. Um, I'm just sort of curious your your perspective. I think everyone does these a little differently. So the first when is, in your opinion, Brian Bowling. If you have a, uh, a patient who has experienced a, a clinical change, and usually we're talking about some kind of deterioration, something bad happens. So your patient is, their blood pressure is crashing, um, they've started bleeding, they're like, seem to be herniating, um, just something is going on, you know? It is probably appropriate to make somebody aware of that. A lot of our patients, of course, are, are sedated or not conscious, so our point of contact is usually somebody else, like a family member. And obviously, they deserve to know about things that are happening. But the question is, when? When do you involve family and update them about things that are going on? Um, the one extreme would be just like... Uh, Tomorrow or, you know, like the next time you were planning to just give them an update anyway, right? And the other end would be like immediately, as soon as anything happens. Like, listen, Mr. Smith, we, we gave potassium today. So I imagine many cases fall somewhere in between, but I think people differ on like, I don't know, it's a, a personality thing or just like where, where they think is appropriate. And as an example... Uh, I think lately I've noticed, and this might be a local or institutional thing, but a lot of the, uh, the house staff, residents, and, and fellows maybe in my area, I, their, their perspective on this is tell people about things like right away. So if something is happening, like suddenly a patient is crashing, um, my like first, second, and third responses might be like airway, breathing, and circulation, and theirs might be like, airway, and then, like, call the family. Mm. <laughs> and I guess my take is that it can be kind of uh, precipitous for two reasons. One is that, that it's not really the priority if you're focused on the patient. Um, and the other is that it you don't really know what to tell them yet mm. if something is suddenly happening, you know? Maybe you know what's going on. Maybe you have no idea. And even if you know what's going on, you don't really know yet what the significance is going to be. You know, maybe you're going to do some measures and they'll stabilize. Um, maybe not. Often you need information, like you need this patient to get a lab, get a CAT scan, whatever, before you kind of know what to make of this. You know that maybe it's 
it's new or it doesn't look good. Um, so I'm more inclined to let things reach a kind of uh, local settling point. And so we have a moment to breathe and, and I know what to tell them um, so that it makes sense. Because otherwise, the it's like, I guess in a way, the implication when you're communicating with them is that you're looking for uh, them to do something, I guess like a decision. Um, and I don't, I don't really want that when we haven't made enough progress yet. I don't want them making a, a bad decision. I don't really kind of want their input on the care yet. <laughs> um, so it's just going to be needless. You know what it's like? It's like when um, somebody calls you in the ICU to tell you they might have a patient who needs to come. That's not really actionable information for me. Um, so I'd just rather not know. Tell me when I need to like to do something. There's a patient or there's not. Otherwise, it's just like a it's like looming stressor. It's like a, the idea that one day something could happen. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. So I think <clears throat> I think the short answer is as soon as is practical, right? But this is a, such a nuanced question. I, I think it depends on a couple things. I think it depends one on what the update is, right? So like you said, is it something trivial like his electrolytes are out of balance and we gave him some uh, or we increased his blood pressure medicine or we are weaning the vent or whatever. Uh, that stuff, obviously that can wait till the next time you see them. Uh, or if you have, if they, if they're not coming in, maybe they're living far away. You have a regularly scheduled phone calls or something like that. If it's something, you know, dramatic that's time sensitive, like they're coding, right? That obviously has a little more urgency to it. And if it's something that's dramatic, that's not time sensitive, that's a th sort of a third, uh, a third um, option, right? But I think for those dramatic things, like you said, if, if somebody's coding, it's not the priority to talk. Uh, and I don't know what to tell them, right? Now, part of this too differs as to where the family is, right? So if the family's in the room, obviously, uh, and the patient's coding, I have, you know, if I've got a nurse or a chaplain or someone who can take them aside and sort of start to explain things to them uh, and tell them that, you know, as soon as we get to a point where I'm free to talk, I'll talk to them. If they're, you know, down in the cafeteria getting food or they're across the street in a hotel or something like that. It's a little different than if they're three states away and I'm reaching them by phone. The other thing I think is, again, based on urgency, what time is it, right? If this is the middle of the night and something happened and I feel reasonably certain that, yeah, this is going to be bad, but it's, they're stable until morning. And I'll probably just wait and call them in the morning because there's no point in calling someone at three in the morning to tell them something that they can't do anything about. And there's really no urgency about, right? But I think the other side, besides what you mentioned as far as needing their input, is keeping them up to date in such a way that we minimize the shock value, if that makes sense. And so I think about in cases like this, a, a, a joke, probably a probably a joke in poor tasted sometimes, uh, that an attending told once about a guy who goes out of town and, uh, asks a friend to, to, you know, watch his cat. And, uh, he says, he calls him a couple of days later and the friend says, your cat died. And he says, what, why did you, why'd you break it to me like that? Why didn't you tell me, you know, the first time I call while well, your cat, you know, got out. 
and we're looking for him. And then the next time you go, well, the cat got hit by a car and we took it to the vet and it's not looking good. And then the next time, well, sorry, the cat died and sort of eased me into it. And the guy says, well, I'm really sorry. You know, I'll try to do better in the future. And he says, okay, well, I'm really distraught about my cat, but, uh, have you, uh, have you had a chance to talk to my mom by any chance? And he goes, I got bad news. Your mom got out. Um, you know, so I, I think if we can ease people into these things, right, instead of calling and saying, I've got bad news, your, your dad died, right? If we, and they don't see it coming, sometimes that's just how it is, right? Sometimes people die suddenly, but sometimes there's a lot leading up to it, and we just maybe didn't take the time to fill them in. Things have taken a bad turn, and we're doing our best, but it's not looking good sort of thing. Even if they can't do anything about it, even if they can't even come in, right? They're three states away, for example. I think it helps ease them into what may be coming down the road. Yeah, it. Uh, it's like the two aspects of this are, one, what you need from them for decisions, and the other is psychologically uh, preparing them so they are in a in the right ballpark to understand the patient's current situation. So like the patient who suddenly codes, that's not my first call, but the first call probably shouldn't be we coded them for an hour, we couldn't get Rosk, so we declared them dead. Right. There should be probably at least one and maybe maybe about one call before that saying, "Listen, this happened, their heart stopped, we're trying to resuscitate them. I don't know if we'll be able to." You know, because yeah. then the next stop is a reasonable. It's like when you're walking downstairs, it's like there's a right amount for like each descent when it's like a foot and a half. They're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's also such a thing as too small. So like, do I call them six times to be like, it's been another 10 minutes. We thought we had V-fib once, but then we didn't think so. So we didn't shock it. I'll, t- <laughs> right. know, I'll update you later. Or like, you know, the neuro patient seems like they have a neuro change. We're going to go for a CT scan. Um. That's like gray area, I think. Like, do you tell them something is going on and we're going for a scan? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Or do you wait until you have it? Because th- that right. it could be nothing. Or this could be like, you know, now they're herniating or something. Uh, maybe it depends on your suspicion. Like, so that because you'd rather not your first call being like, oh, something catastrophic happened. Uh, but you also, I also don't want to bug them with each little thing. <laughs> And I think part of this reflects your philosophy on like how much, how much detail do you think is best for families to have in general? And I, I kind of lean towards the not so much detail, more big picture end of that um, for multiple reasons. Like I think a lot of details people don't understand. Uh, and that's not pejorative. I mean, why would they? It's not a medical thing. Um, and because they don't understand them, by delivering them you are implying that they matter where when they actually don't for what they need to know. Like they don't need to know that potassium, for instance, because they're not managing the patient's potassium. What, what is relevant to them? The overall prognosis, the general medical situation. And so when there's updates, that's kind of how I look at it as well. Is this something that affects that overall situation? Um, then they should know about it. If not, then maybe not. And if I'm not sure yet, then it's a gray area. Yeah, I think that is a good point, right? So I had this I have this conversation pretty regularly with families, but I, a couple of weeks ago I had a, a 
patient who was in the ICU and intubated. And his mom was there at the bedside. And she was elderly. You know, she was probably in her 80s. Uh, and she was looking up at the monitor and said, when should I worry? Like looking at these numbers, when should I worry? And I said, the short answer is you shouldn't. And I don't mean this to sound like I'm talking down to you or anything like that, but it's not your job to worry. It's my job. The problem is I can tell you what numbers are good and what numbers are bad, but everything is so much more nuanced. Like you said, people don't understand what that potassium means or what this lab value means. And I said, so, you know, a blood pressure, a map of 60 might be okay if I synthesize 10 other data points in there. A map of 60 might, I might be starting pressers, right? So, uh, and so I tell families, I can't teach you in five minutes how to think like an ICU clinician. And the same sort of thing I think applies here, right? Is that what is going to inform them versus alarm them for no reason, um, and I think that's something that's hard to do when you're new because it's hard to put yourself in the mindset of someone who who doesn't know what they're talking, who doesn't know about stuff, you know? Yeah. No, I tell people the exact same thing. They'll ask, you know, they'll focus on little things because yeah. that's what they have to anchor on. And you can either answer that question or you can say, well, look, really what, it matter, what matters is that it's generally the same, you know? If you want to know how things are going, if the patient's going to recover from this, the answer to that question is, I don't know, and today is pretty much the same as yesterday, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, if you start answering the little things, I'm not saying, like, refuse to, but the, you know, try to communicate that it that's not what matters to them. Um, and it's the same thing when stuff changes, right? By telling them something, you're implying that it matters. So there, it's... But you want to build that staircase so they're not horribly surprised when there's changes. Yep. So, and I, I do think that people will sometimes latch on to communicating with families as a, um, like when stuff happens, that's something they know how to do. Mm -hmm. So that's what they do. And it's, you know, maybe especially for earlier trainees and things like that. They're like, this I, this is a, a useful thing that I can go and do right now, whereas I don't really know what to do with this crashing patient. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's fine, but it, it also has the potential for uh, opening the door to, I think, inappropriate actions, because often the, the action that families can do is guide the the goals and decisions of care. And it may not be a good time for that. Yeah. I mean, I think people often make these calls and they're like, listen, this patient looks real sick. We should just uh, call it quits. Like, this patient's going to die. And in many, maybe even the majority of acute situations, I think that's, that's precipitous because we don't know the implications of it yet. And a lot of new acute things, we have stuff we can do about mm -hmm. it. Now, if you're looking at the overall picture, then that's fine, but overall picture didn't just suddenly change, right? I think decisions like that are better to be made in the uh, the calm light of day based on the overall trajectory, not because something just suddenly happened. You know, even if their heart stopped or something, yes, there's not a great prognosis to that. But the time to say that if this patient's heart stops will tell us this patient's not going to survive was not when it stops. Right. 
that was it was before right, exactly <laughs> nothing has changed now <laughs> well, except that it's emotional yeah and and i often tell um, tell families this and i think it it's something worth mentioning to trainees and new providers as well is when we're talking about those things in hypotheticals right so if the worst case scenario your heart stops do you want us to do cpr blah 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 uh, it's hard to sometimes visualize that you know, because it's not happening. Uh, but sometimes I'll talk to families about, particularly if it's someone like, you know, an elderly parent who has a lot of comorbidities and odds are if they arrest, they're not going to do well. Um, and the families will sort of hesitate and, and that, like they don't know what to say. And my general default is, Hey, if you're having any equivocation right now, then we do everything right? Because there's nothing we can't undo. And I think that's something we lose sight of in conversations like this is that we feel like, well, this patient's going downhill. And if we start pressers, then we're committing ourselves to, you know, full on resuscitation and ECMO and trach and peg and a lifetime in a facility. No, we're not. You know, even if I intubate someone who really probably shouldn't be intubated, like, you know, I'm never going to be able to get this person off the vent if I put them on the vent. That can, you know, that can be undone at a later point. So we don't have to rush people to make decisions. And so therefore, we don't have to call people in the middle of the night necessarily to make decisions unless it's something like you said that that absolutely has to be right. You're, you're coding someone right now. Do you want us to continue? Things are not looking good, right? Yeah, the, the emotion of something immediate and and palpable and visceral uh, can sometimes help stimulate <laughs> decision making that might have been sluggish, but I think far more often leads to uh, wrong decisions. Yeah. I mean, the how something feels in its immediacy is not necessarily more right and probably is less right than something that was made a decision that was made calmly. You imagine like a family member walking in the room and you were like placing a central line, and it was totally fine and routine. But um, there's a good amount of like blood that leaked, so you have like blood on your gown and on the floor, and, and, like a little bit of on the wall. And they're like, "Oh my God, what's going on?" You yeah, know, like no, no, it's it's, it's fine. everything's fine here. Right. It just, yeah, but that's not <laughs> that's not necessarily how that looks, right? So how things feel when it, you're, they're being pressed and how they are, there's I think there's not a lot of of link there. Yeah. So. Well, and I don't want to get too much off on decision making, but like if you sit down and say we have this patient, something bad has happened and they're intubated now, but stable. And you have that sort of, where, where do we go from here? Talk. And the family says, you know, I feel like I want to do everything. And then they code two hours later. The time is not then to say, you sure you want us to code this patient, right? They calmly made that decision earlier, code the patient. If you resuscitate them and it looks like, okay, now they've coded and they're going to code again and it's, we're not going to get them back probably. That's the time to revisit that decision, not in the heat of the moment. Right. It's like what what's important to families is the consequence of things. Right. And therefore, it makes a lot of sense in many cases to wait until you know it's over, essentially. Yeah. Like you know what the consequence is before communicating them. Again, with the caveat that you you don't want to spring on them if it's a, a dire consequence. So you should give them some prep that their mother's on the roof or whatever. Right. But um, th there's just not anything they can do when things are still unfolding. Yeah. Okay, let's do a second win. Um, in the ICU, we're often sort of a primary service or at least the kind of primary one coordinating care. 
which means we often have to consult other specialists. Um, and sometimes it's for something very specific, like you need a procedure done, and that's sort of, you know, when you need it, then you talk to them. But sometimes it's just because you need consultation. There is a complex situation, or uh, sometimes it's just like there is a disease that is in their realm, and it's the sort of thing you often consult for. So, like, there's an infection, so maybe you should consult infectious diseases. And for some things that may be stupid, but some infections are important enough that it crosses your mind. So then the question is, when should you do that? When is it valuable or useful to involve these other specialists? Especially because, I mean, we're not morons. Most things we have some idea how to diagnose and treat. You know, if you get into real esoterica and you're like, I've never even heard of this thing, let's just call someone. Okay, sure. But most things, you know, say you have a staph bacteremia, um, you know, when is it appropriate to call that ID person? And uh, that means both should you at all and then, you know, how early versus late. What's your, what's your perspective on this? Again, so I think this is a, a really nuanced question. And the short answer, which sounds flippant, but it's not, not meant to be, but is when you need them, right? So like you said, I'm going to consult nephrology, for example, when I have a patient who I feel like probably needs dialysis. Um, because I can manage acute kidney injury myself. Um, same thing with, you know, cardiology. This is the, some of my favorite examples, actually cardiology, right? People want to call cardiology for arrhythmias or for, you know, STLU. Basically, do you think the patient needs to go to the cath lab? Cause that's what cardiology is going to do for you right now. If it's just something else, you could probably manage that for the moment. And if it becomes like, all right, well, we've tried this and this and this, and it's not getting better we should probably call an expert or I, the other one is like endocrine. You know, if I have a patient who has really poorly controlled blood sugar, I've got them on an insulin drip. Do I call endocrine? Well, not necessarily. Right. If I have a good reversible reason for their hyperglycemia, right. They have, you know, some sort of shock. They have, uh, you know, I don't know, a liver disease, you know, liver transplant, kidney transplant, pancreas transplant people. But if I've got somebody who is pretty sick and I get their A1C and it's 15, then yeah, I mean, I'm not going to fix this today, right? They have been uncontrolled for a while and they probably need to follow up with someone. So let's just get endocrine involved. I think... Yeah, that's a good example. Like, like it's we could do the ICU stuff, but if it's something that's going to involve a lot of post-ICU stuff, it might make sense to loop people in who are going to be doing that versus us making up a whole thing that is going to change as soon as they like hit the floor or hit the clinic. Yeah. I think the the difficulty comes in, in knowing when you need someone, because if you're not real experienced and stuff, it can be hard to spot, you know? And so an example I give a lot when I talk to trainees is I had a patient one time, one of the surgical services calls me, it's like five o'clock in the afternoon and we've got this guy who's up in the ICU. Uh, he's on the vent. We haven't consulted you guys before, um, but he's. we've had blood pressure issues all day, uh, oxygenation issues all day. His SATs haven't been above 85 all day long. I'm maxed on vasoepi, norepi, and phenylephrine. Uh, I don't know what else to do. And I go, well, man, I wish you'd called me at like 10 o'clock this morning when you were starting to get into trouble. But that seems to be contradictory to what I just said, right? Like they thought they could manage the patient. And then they end up in a place where we've exhausted 
all of our resources and we don't know what else to do. And I go, well, I mean, I don't know that I can fix this patient now that they're so far gone. So it, it's very hard. It's very easy to say when you need them, but it's hard to know sometimes when that is. Yeah, it, it's easy to consult people when you don't know what to do. Um, what's challenging is knowing when you don't know right. that you're missing something. Like you, ha- your your unknown unknowns. So that's I think where a lot of consults arise that may or may not be necessary from either person's perspective. It's it's accepting the the blind spot of what you might be missing. I think we're doing the right stuff here, but let's get another set of eyes on this because the last thing you want is to have another a specialist come in and say, you guys got this all wrong. You missed the right diagnosis or you're giving the wrong drug. Fix this before you kill this patient. But actually, that's not the last thing. The last thing you want to do is have the same problem, but you didn't think to consult someone so you never hear about yeah. it. So that's where, you know, and some people are really broad about that and they're like, just... You know, you load the boat with everyone else. So if it sinks, then they they go down with you, which I think is kind of an insipid way of looking at it. But it's it's making absolute sure that at least if you're doing something wrong, you're all doing it wrong. Yeah. Um, versus you know, by and large, managing things you can manage, but having some humility that other smart people might have a perspective too. But of course, there's a balance, right? Consulting people for stupid stuff is not gonna improve their lives or yours. Um, and, you know, adding more perspectives that are not that helpful doesn't clarify the picture either. You end up with a, a chart with all these notes on it, either saying the same thing you're already doing or slightly different things that you're ignoring, yeah. which well, and <laughs> so doesn't add to I think either. one other thing to throw into the mix is it depends on the system that you're in, right? If you're in a sort of closed system, meaning like where you, I think you and I both practice in these academic systems where everybody works for the same group. We're all kind of in it together. Um, you tend to know these people very well, right? That's one thing, right? I might call be like, who's on for cardiology today? Oh, that guy, I know him. He's nice. I'll call him and just, I'll go, I got this guy. I don't know if you need to see him or not. Let me tell you the story. And then they'll say, you know, no, I think you're doing everything right. Or, oh, yeah, he sounds complicated. Let me come look at him. Right. That may help kind of curbside people. Other systems, you can't necessarily curbside people, right? If you're in a community setting where everybody's their own entity, uh, it becomes, you know, I'm calling you to ask you to do some work for me and maybe not get paid for it. Um, you know, I think people are, I don't work in the system, so I don't know for sure, but I think people are going to be more likely to be like, well, if you want me to weigh in, consult me and I'll come see the patient and do everything formally, which may be a waste of everybody's time. So I think it depends on the system you're in, whether you can get away with that or not. Yeah. The whole concept of a curbside is a little controversial. I I think it's always something to be done with a little bit of caution because no matter how you do it, you're essentially asking someone to render an opinion with incomplete information without doing all the stuff they would normally do. So you're just hoping that whatever they tell you, which may be as simple as we don't need to see the patient, but that is still a decision. Um, it is. It wouldn't have changed if they had better information. And that stuff happens. Like in the, at the M&M or something, someone asked the consultant why they said this, and they said, well, I didn't know about this other stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that could be in a more formal situation as well. But, but yeah, it depends on the system. And sometimes there are institutional uh, decisions about this, like, when should you consult someone for X? 
we've decided on mass that like I that example of staph bacteremia, the ID people have yeah. literature that it improves mortality when you consult ID in that situation. So that's a very specific situation where perhaps even if you don't think you need help, <laughs> you, you should because there there is evidence on this. Yeah. Um, but and you know some places they're like surgery should always be involved in you know pancreatitis or something like that or we don't want to hear about it if it's not surgical we should never be involved you know whatever <laughs> some of this is how available they are how busy they are who else is around and and so on like we don't have endocrinology at our center so they are not consulted for anything <laughs> and obviously you know you get by sometimes you really wish you could other times you would have called if they were available but uh okay next when um you and i are not attending physicians. Um, I'm a PA, you're an NP, which means that we're generally working alongside uh, attending intensivists. Um, and this all would also potentially apply to a, um, a resident or a fellow, a trainee along those lines. And, you know, I'm sure similarly for someone like a nurse uh, in just kind of a, a similar way, when should you call the boss, you know, the, the attending? When, when do you uh, escalate things or notify these people uh, about what's going on, about something you're doing, something that you're considering doing. When do you kind of close that loop? And particularly, obviously, if they're not, if you're standing next to them and something is going on. Uh, but you know, if they're not around, maybe they're not even in the in the building. Um, when do you start to talk to people? Yeah. So uh, I hope people are picking up on the theme of this episode. Besides being when is that critical care is very nuanced, right? Because I think I've said that a, a million times, but I think it depends a lot on. So I, I, I would look at this the same way I look at consults, right? So when do I need my attending for something? Uh, the but the caveat with that also is who's my attending and when, what does my attending want to know, right? Because I have some attendings who they want to be in the loop, right? They really want to know stuff. I have other attendings who sometimes I won't even tell them about a new admission until, you know, towards the end of the day so that they can be prepared when they do sign out to the night attending, but unless I need them, right? Uh, other times, I'll, other attendings, I'll say, hey, I got a new consult. It's this patient in the ED. I'm going to see them. They sound fine. I'll let you know if it's anything different. So I think a lot of it depends on what they want to know and how much they want to know. Uh, and I think it depends too on your relationship with them, right? So I have some attendings who, from me, don't care if they hear from me very often. But from a person who's a new grad, they want to be in the loop all the time, right? Because they've we've established this relationship that they know that I'll call them when it's important. But the new person, they don't have a good feel for yet to know if they know when it's important to, to call, right? So um, I hate to you know, sound wishy-washy about stuff, but I think it just is very variable. No, I think it's like these others. It's on one hand, when do you need help with something? But on the other hand, what would they want? Mm -hmm. So just like the consults and stuff, some things they would just like to be involved with. Um, again, with the additional element that it's not a completely level relationship here, um, there is a, a degree of supervision involved. And that means that they are responsible to a certain extent for the things you're doing, even if you don't tell them about them. Right. Um, so how much are you going to do within that space? Mm -hmm. Depends how much they trust you to do them. I mean, of course you can do whatever you want, but they may be upset about it if it, if it exceeded that, that range. Um, so very much based on trust. And I think their personality and how willing they are to, 
to give you free reign. And some of it goes beyond trust and just what do they what do they like to, what do they want to be involved with? Some people want to be involved in a lot of details. That's how they are. Mm-hmm. Some people start that way and then are able to uh, kind of release more autonomy to others later. Um, and some people just have particular areas. I mean, you know, these are clinicians with their own interests and things. And and maybe maybe they trust you to manage the that severe ARDS patient, but maybe that's something they're into and they would like to do stuff too, right. and not necessarily to be purely like uh, high-level managerial, like tell me if the patient died. Um, so I think you have to just work it out, erring on the side of caution, because if you if they start to think that you're um, uh, you know like a, a rogue agent, it can be hard to walk that back. Yeah. Um, and I think most people would rather talking about surprises again for families. They'd, they'd rather not be surprised. So even if it's just a matter of like FYI that you know this patient's been circling the drain, or like, hey, they herniated yeah. and we're giving them hypertonic or something. It's not necessarily they're going to weigh in on that, but just so they generally know where things are at. I mean, they are responsible for these patients. Yes, if you know what you're doing, you can probably do that. But, you know, they probably don't want to come in the next day and like eight people have died or something. And right. <laughs> all right, so like what happened? Here? Right, well, getting back to the, you know, example of, you know, I have attendings who are pretty laid back and they they know I'll call them when I need them. But I'll still usually text and be like, uh, hey, I've just let you know I'm going to see this new consult. Here's the two, two second rundown. I'll let you know. And, you know, I'll get like thumbs up emoji back or whatever. But I still do it, even though I, I don't think they care that much. But like you said, it's to so that if I get down there and this consult was undersold to me and this guy's real sick and needs an airway. And when I call you and be like, we're going to intubate this guy. You're like, like, what guy? What are you talking about? Well, we have a new patient, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like the the those steps when you're talking to the families. Yeah. Like, when you do call them, it would be nice if you didn't have to first say, well, so first they started bleeding, then they went to the OR, um, and then their head popped off. So we had to find it, but then it was down the elevator shaft, so we had to call maintenance. Anyway, I'm calling because um, the family wants an update from you. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I mean, it, look, I mean, there's been times when I like got in touch with someone. I was like, listen, this is what I've been dealing with for the past six hours, you know, on this night shift. Like, do you have any ideas? Um, and I, I think it's not unreasonable, but you should be pretty confident that all this other stuff you've been doing was a- appropriate because otherwise, just like when you got that call from uh, the floor, they might be like, listen, you could have done different stuff five hours ago. Now it's too late. I mean, that's what you don't want to hear, right. right? So, <laughs> Okay. Last win. <clears throat> um, most of the things that we uh, would like done, uh, plans of care and uh, therapies and tests and whatever else, involve our nurses. The bedside nurses are the ones who are administering a lot of this care. Um, so often it starts with us, quote, writing an order, which used to mean on a piece of paper. Now it means in our EMRs, you click a box or something. Um, the question is, when should you do more? Because you could just click a box and then it will wend its way through the electrons to the nurse's computer, which at some point they're going to open up and probably find an order that they're going to have to do something about or not, depending on how it pops up for them. Um, But when should you basically go and tell them Mm -hmm. and loop them in on the plan and say, again, something small like, hey, we're going to give some potassium to something big like um, we got to get this patient 
to the OR, something like that. Um, when do you when do you close that loop with them in a more explicit way? So I think if you're talking about overall plans like for the day, I like to communicate that. Now I will say this: I am not always the best at this. Sometimes I get busy and forget. Sometimes, um, you know, I go to the bedside and the nurse isn't there because they're in their other patient's room or they're getting meds or supplies or whatever, and I will get distracted and forget to text them because uh, we have texting through our EMR, um, which is which is very helpful for things like this. But I try to, um, I try to unless the plan is just sort of. No big plans today. We're going to do the normal things. Um, I, I try to let them know, like, okay, so w- the plan is we're going to start some vasopressin and try to wean the epi back. B- but I, hear, I want you to wean it to this and, you know, then call me and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, and I try to have a face-to-face conversation if I can. Uh, but like I said, the, the messaging system is nice because then it's in writing. They can refer back to it, right? If they're, you know, if you try to poke your head in there while they're in their other patient's room and be like, let me give you some detailed plans while you're in the middle of something, they may forget or whatever. So it's nice to have it in writing. But if you're talking about like changes throughout the day, like let's say I happen to notice uh, the blood pressure is trending down and the urine output's trending down. So I'm going to give a fluid bolus. Um, you know, like I said, if I'm sitting there at the computer, I'll try to just message the nurse real quick and be like, hey, FYI, I want to give a fluid bolus because I've noticed this or that. Um, you know, but for routine stuff, I don't think you necessarily need to. Um, but again, I think it's depends on the, the relationship you have with your nurses and other people like respiratory therapists and stuff too. Um, you know, are they somebody who's really experienced who you know, is like keeping up with stuff and is going to get on it. Right. Cause I've had sometimes where I message a nurse, Hey, I just put an order in for blah, blah, blah. And she's like, yeah, I know I'm doing it right now. Right. Uh, okay, cool. But then sometimes it'll, you know, I'll put an order in and forget to say something. And then like a couple of hours later, I'll look and it hasn't been done. And it's because it's somebody who's maybe new and they got distracted or they're kind of underwater and they haven't asked for help. Um, versus if I had brought it to their attention, then they might have been like, oh, well, I need some help uh, because I've got too much to do. Yeah, or they just literally didn't know because they haven't, yeah. whatever in their workflow, done the thing that you know f- pops up that there's a new right. thing yet, right? So, yeah, it, I think there's the gap between like ideal and in reality here. Probably ideally, you would always communicate with people when anything needs to be done. Um, practically speaking, that can be easier or harder. Like for us, we always try to have the nurses with us when we round. Yeah. So at least that those general plans for the day they're aware of. That's generally not always possible. They'd usually do have other patients and maybe other things going on. But, you know, some of it is their time and some is my time, right? Like if I'm doing six other things and I just put in a quick order for, sometimes this is even just before rounds when you're doing other things and you need to like give some potassium. Um, it can be a lot of burden to just go and like track people down and be like, potassium. And especially when it uh, doesn't really matter when. It's not urgent, right? right? So definitely if something is truly time sensitive, then I think you have to close the loop both so that they know about it sooner and so that you can confirm that they know about yeah. it. Yeah. Because just writing an order is open-ended and you don't know that they saw it. Yeah, and I just to say, I think that's when you mentioned time sensitive, I think that is a big key, right? If I want to do something and I want it done reasonably soon, then I need to go and talk to them. Because like you said, people get busy with stuff. They Their normal workflow may be only to check things every so often and 
But if it's something like, you know, I want to give this med today, right? I don't really care. It doesn't, it's no hurry, you know, um, or I ordered a CT scan and it's not a rush. So whenever you can get to it, it's fine. Um, you know, like maybe I'm doing surveillance cultures, right? I ordered blood cultures. It, you know, just draw them at some point today. Uh, I won't, yeah. I won't and necessarily I mean, I, track them down and talk to them. Yeah. I hope that they're understanding that. Cause again, I would like to tell people about everything, but you know, if you're in a hurry and I'm sure they'd rather not be surprised to find stuff, but I hope they get like, all right, they just, this is something they want at some point and I'll, I'll get to it. Um, now how urgent things are can be a spectrum, right? Like it's something that doesn't need to be right now, but does need to be like sometime vaguely in this like part of the day. Um, if you get, uh, like you said, a few hours and things still want to happen now, maybe it's becoming more urgent. Right. <laughs> it's like people ask me like, should I order this, uh, this scan or test Stats. stat or not? And I'm like, well, it doesn't need to be now, but it does need to be like today sometime. And if you order it like routine, that might mean like kind of never. Uh, so like, you know, pretty much all my chest x-rays are stat because otherwise I don't know when it's going to happen and we have to like move some things on here. And then you're like, well, we need like a, a super duper stat for things that actually are stat. So it's kind of the same vibe sometimes. Like if you want something that's done, you know, in the next few hours, um, maybe you can just throw an order in now, but before too long, you might want to circle back and make sure someone got it. Otherwise it may start to become like, all right, we're kind of starting to run behind on this now. <laughs> and, you know, definitely like uh, more complex things. Like if it's okay, give 20 of potassium, but if it's like you said, okay, our strategy here, our goal, we'd like to bring down this sedation. And if you need more of the Presidex, then you could do that, but you need to be off the propofol. And we're trying to go from levofed to epinephrine. Uh, it's okay if you're on both, but our goal is to just kind of be on the one. But really, this should all be, hopefully be done by like the morning because we'd like to try an expert. But that's not going to communicate in an order. Right, so. right. Yeah, I think that's a good point, right? If it's complex, explain it. Um, I like to explain my thought process to, especially if I'm asking them to do something big, right? Like going back to the, and this is going to sound contradictory when I said, you know, uh, I want a CT scan. It's no big deal. It can be done anytime. But maybe I will tell them, hey, this is not a hurry, right? So don't drop everything you're doing to go to CT scan. But here's why we're going to CT scan too, because it puts them in a weird spot, right? If the family's like, why are they going for a CT scan? And they're just like, I don't know, because it's ordered, you know? Right. Um, so sometimes it's good to communicate that in general anyway, um, to let them know, hey, this is not a hurry. So don't feel like you yeah, need to drop Yeah, or to give everything. the bounds for that, like... This can be whenever, but it should be this shift. Right. Something like that, right? And yeah, because the nurses are in the, the middle of a lot of this. Yeah. Like I said, between us and families sometimes, uh, other services, you know, whatever. CT calls and they're like, do you need this now? Because I have like a, a stroke alert on the table. Uh, and like, okay, no, it doesn't need to like bump that but they're like okay well but the tech's going home in three hours like uh, can it be tomorrow is that okay you know so they may be fielding a lot of stuff yeah. that at, at the best they you would have to deal with otherwise but at the worst you may end up not on the same page for what's happening like you said applies for others to respiratory therapy and, and many others but and you'll get questions from nurses be like you know i saw your order why are we doing this right and you know, so happy to, to answer that, even if it's just a matter of education, like here's why you do this in this situation, or like here's our thought process, here's what we're trying to rule out, thinking about treating whatever. Uh, and that may, 
that may influence things that they're doing that you don't know about or are just on a low level so they can hone the care they're providing to try to pursue the same goals that you have. Yeah, well, one thing, so in our EMR system, we have someone is designated as the first call provider, right? And so tends to get all the messages. And so one thing that kind of drives me nuts sometimes is when, you know, MRI, for example, will message me about, uh, I want, hey, I have a question about this MRI that you ordered. And I, in fact, did not order an MRI and didn't even know there was an MRI ordered, right? But I'm the first call provider, so they contact me. Um, and it's sometimes frustrating that I go, well, you know, neurology or whoever, right, didn't tell me they ordered an MRI. I don't know why they want the MRI, so I can't answer their questions. So I should think about that when I do stuff myself, right? So the nurses are going to get a call from CT that says, like you said, does this need to happen right now? And they're like, what was, what CT, what are you talking about? Right. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah. So I guess what I'm saying is sometimes I get annoyed with things that happen to me, uh, that I probably do to other people too. And it, it benefits us all to think about that. Um, so that I don't do to others with the thing that bugs me when people do it to me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, of course, I'm very anti anyone writing orders except for kind of the one primary person anyway for that exact reason. But you're right. And I think for it's good for us all to remember as a general rule that anything you can complain about in the healthcare process, uh, it's probably worse for the nurses. Yeah. They, they are just kind of at this low point in all the stuff that runs down where they tend to field everyone's issues and then have to answer to the next person about it when they were not responsible for any of it. So... Um, yeah, all all of the uh, all, all of the blame, none of the authority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. All right. Anything else we should say about Huens or anything else? No, I think I think that's good. This is a good idea. I think there's a lot of things that come up like this, and I don't know. Hopefully, it was helpful. I feel like I, we didn't give a whole lot of definitive answers to stuff, um, but you know, that's what I tell trainees all the time too. Is that um, Critical care is surprisingly vague uh, and frustratingly vague, right? You you read in books and see all these like rules and calculations and et cetera. And it turns out that it's pretty complicated and there's not a lot of hard yeses and nos and not a lot of hundred percent and zero percent. It's always some sort of spectrum of gray. Well, I think this is a perfect example of like how yeah, in the textbook it says you do X, Y, and Z, and yes, you do that, but the subtleties of how you go about yeah. it, it really is where a lot of the, the medicine is and, the, and where experience and clinical judgment can make a big difference. And frankly, how you know patient care can go well or poorly or a clinician can be doing things effectively or not while everyone is still doing that X, Y, Z, but it comes down to these details. And it could very much be a matter of when you did something made a real difference in a patient outcome or your system working effectively or not, or your relationships uh, being functional in, in the healthcare setting. Um, and it, it was just a matter of like, when did you make that call? Yeah. Or, you know, did you, did you reach out and talk to that nurse now or an hour from now? Or did you consult them today or tomorrow? Um, there's not a broad right answer, but there, there may be a right answer in a particular situation. So Again, not to be vague about it, but these are the things that um, that you learn over time. And, you know, the things that we like to try to communicate in, let's say, a podcast that focuses on case-based scenarios. Exactly. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs> See you guys.